0: Hello, I'm your host, Kathy Chester, and welcome to the Move It or Lose It podcast, a podcast about all things that move the mind, body and soul. The Move It or Lose It podcast is for information, awareness and inspirational purposes only. I am not a doctor and I don't even play one on TV. So please consult with your doctor before making any medical decisions. The views expressed by advertisers, guests or contributors are their opinions and not necessarily the views of the Move It or Lose It podcast. So when you were diagnosed, you were diagnosed in 2015? 2001. 2001? Yeah. No, I started blogging in 2015. Okay. So you were diagnosed a little bit after me. So then you started blogging in 2015. So what were you doing after the diagnosis? What, what did they say?
1: Yeah, it you know, yeah, it sucked.
0: I mean it did. I really it, <laughs> it wasn't the most exciting time.
1: Yeah, no, I was a baby in my early 20s. It was a railroading mindfuck um that like just threw my life upside down, you know? But Yeah. I don't know. I've said also before that MS gets harder, but that it also gets easier. Yeah. So say what you mean by that. Yeah. I mean, it was a catastrophe in my early twenties. Everything was a struggle and it was new, but, and my body is so much more disabled now than it was 20 years ago, but I, I am coping with it yeah. better to an extent. So yeah, like, I don't wish these life lessons on anyone, like could right. have some blessings that aren't in disguise. Uh, but that's another surprise of, of my life is, is you do adapt. You do right. learn to handle your shit.
0: Now, did anybody in your family have MS or just you? Were you the first? First and like, hopefully the only, yeah. Did you already meet your husband at that point?
1: Yeah, we were dating. Okay. It was very
0: like on
1: again, off again. So, okay. you know, it was a lot to process. And I think thoughtful people consider all possible outcomes. So yeah, it was it was a few years before we were married after that. But um yeah, I did already know him. Yeah. So
0: that that's good in a way, I feel like, because you went into it kind of together, kind of going over, probably neither one of you really knowing what to expect. But however, you both knew this is what it is. And so he got to kind of really look at this before he married you, not like having no clue what you had. Yeah.
1: You know, I think even still we, we still, we never really know what we're in for, you know, and I think we have, it's like human nature to have this bias to expect, you know, that we're going to win the lottery, that we're going to have the best case scenario. And I think we don't really know. So of course he, he went into it knowing what could happen. Um, and he's very, he's like a naturally Nurturing and caring person in a way that I could never be. So
0: <laughs> I'm with you. Like, yeah, he's like he's I, a much better caregiver than I'll be.
1: Honestly, like I feel like if the roles were reversed, he would be a terrible MS patient, and I would be a terrible <laughs> caregiver. Like, you know. Right? So I feel like whatever we, yeah. we got assigned the appropriate roles in life. <laughs> I'm with you. No, he's amazing. um But yeah, I mean, it, it it's certainly. It's not easy. I don't wish this on him any
0: more than I wish it on myself. Agree. Agree. And now you guys have been married for how long? 19, 18 years. Wow. Congratulations. That's really good. That's great. So now going through all the, all of that you guys have been through. So, um, any kids?
1: No, no kids by choice. I, I, never, like I just said, I'm like not nurturing at all. I, you know what? I never wanted kids. Um, i always wanted a dog. So uh-huh. that wasn't something that I felt MS took from me. Yeah. And I always want to stress for people that, you know, I think sometimes friends, family, doctors can caution against right. having kids. Like if I had wanted them, I would have figured out a way I would have figured it out. So right, sure. I wanted to travel and have a dog.
0: Yes. And even back then it was not, you know, I remember I had, I had three and they were, I really wanted a fourth. I was obviously more nurture. I wanted kids. I wanted kids from the day I was born, I think. So I remember wanting a fourth. And back then they were not like really good advocates on like more children. They were very much like, no, you're done and no more kids. And so now they're much different, but at least most of them are but, and I'm very grateful for that because I think so many of, you know, women want to have them. And so they're not, you know, told absolutely not anymore, which is, which is thankfully very good.
1: Yeah. I was told by one doctor not to have kids and I was young at the time. I think I was 26 and wow, yeah. And I wasn't as full of piss and vinegar as I am now, you know? Yeah. So, and I didn't like want kids anyway but I still remember feeling like I already like I was like kind of how dare you but I didn't say it out loud and I kind of wish that I had
0: so. yeah oh yeah I think that if we could go back so one of the questions I had this week is and I wonder what you would say if you could go back to your younger self diagnose, what would you what's the one thing that you wished you could change or say to yourself yeah, I get asked
1: this from time to time and I think yeah, I mean I think about it from time to time, but it's like I think I don't know that I even if I was like looking myself in the eye, you know, and saying like listen, this is how it is, I don't know that you can know that without actually living through it and learning it on your own. But I I guess I would say, you know, you will adapt. So I Um, like that. Yeah. Like you'll find a way you'll adapt. And I think that's not a message that is very popular. Right. When, when we are diagnosed, the message that we often hear is like, not everyone, blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's like hope for the best,
0: right? you
1: know, is the kind of main takeaway. And there's never any, goal at preparing us for when things get difficult. And so I think like a message that newly diagnosed patients would benefit from is that, you know, we hope that things don't get more difficult than is comfortable. But if
0: they do, here's what we can do. I love that, RJ, because I I agree with you that I don't think that that message is sent out enough. And I believe that then when something does change, I don't think there's the freedom for us to understand that we will grieve again.
1: Well, it's also like, what the hell? Like, you told me it wasn't going to be this bad. Right. right? And you're just kind of sidelined all over again.
0: Is your company, business, school, nonprofit organization, or maybe your support group looking for a speaker to talk about what it's like to have an autoimmune disease, or maybe just to motivate and help inspire? Well, my name's Kathy Chester and I'm the owner and maker of MS Disrupted and the program It Disrupt, Move and Transform. I have been doing motivational speaking for years and I'd be happy to come and help, whether it's motivational speaking at a company, or at a school. So please feel free to email me at msdisrupted at gmail.com or you can check out the website msdisrupted.com or feel free to DM me at msdisrupted. Can't wait to hear from you. What DMT did you start on? I started on Rebif. Okay, so I started on Avonex. And so how many times have you changed? Like all of the time. (laughs) So where are you on now? Where are you at with it now? Ocrevus. Yeah, that's what I'm on now. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, it's changed so often. And so I think that with each one, you know, sometimes there's this naivety. There's this like idea that, okay, this is the one. Forever, depending on what neurologist you have, what relationship you have with them, Right.
1: This is one thing I didn't know in the beginning because I had no frame of reference. So my first two years of MS were extremely aggressive,
0: uh-huh. and
1: I was having attacks on RebiF. But the message was these drugs reduce attacks by one third, right? Right. So I thought if I come off this drug, I'm going to have more attacks. Right. I just thought like it's obviously working because, uh, you know, it was like I didn't understand that. But also it wasn't up to me because I'm not the doctor. I think now, you know, we wouldn't keep somebody on Rebif for that long. And I I think probably, hopefully doctors aren't really starting a patient on interferon when there are so many better, um, more effective
0: medications. I think you'd be shocked by how many.
1: Yeah, well, I think the one thing I would say is like, if you are on a therapy and you have one
0: attack, switch treatments. Amen. I mean, even I had Dr. Bieber on a few months ago and he had said that if there, that is a big sign. If you're on a medication and you have a relapse, that's boom. And I'm always so shocked with that when I have, you know, patients on, you know, where I'm training they're like, yeah, I had an attack and I'm like, and you told your doctor and they were like, let's keep going. I'm just like, yeah.
1: Wait and see is sucks because, like, you can't undo an attack exactly.
0: Once that happens, it's there. So one of the things that you and I talked about is our um our great ability we have to balance things. So tell our listeners um, some of the struggles and maybe some if we wish we were better at balancing. So first, let's go into this. I um, struggling, I think, with balance when we are entrepreneurs, when we are trying to do our best with this new world of MS and we're trying to work and we're trying to get things done and spreading awareness and doing all the ideas that I think you and I are kind of wired the same in that, that there's so many projects we want to accomplish.
1: Yeah. I mean, I sometimes say I'm like a type A personality trapped in a passive aggressive body. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. It's I, I, so I think part of it is, you know, loving what you do and, and having, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I am the worst person to ask about how to achieve any sort of balance because I do tend to overdo it. And I just like, I feel like overdo it on your own terms right Like if you're gonna overdo it make sure it's something that's worth it to you because you can be filled up like emotionally spiritually intellectually by things that might burn you out a little bit physically and yeah I mean I am not advocating for anyone to not listen to their bodies and to like you have to rest but I think for me prioritizing time with friends and and loved ones prioritizing creative work that helps me feel filled up time with the dog yes like these are are things that that you know you do kind of have to be intentional about I, I also recognize it's easy for me to say you know like the dishes can wait or I'm not using any of my energy
0: on laundry when I don't have kids to feed and look after. So yeah, well, my kids are older now. So I'm like, yeah, that, none of that has to be done anymore. But I I definitely see the dishes pile up and I'm like, yeah, I don't have time for that right now. That's just going to have to wait. So I do, I'm with you in the sense that I think we're both the same and that get the creative things that make you feel good done and, you know, maybe tomorrow I may not have that much energy and I may need to rest a little bit more, but I want to get this stuff.
1: Ditch the guilt, right? Because yes. I think it's like, you're gonna, you're gonna have to rest or you're gonna have to bail on something or whatever. You don't need to compound that, the shittiness of that by feeling bad about it. Just stop right. feeling bad about it. You know, you got a raw deal, take a nap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: So one of the things I love is how open you are about AFOs and all the things that you use. And I love that you, one of the things I caught that you said that I loved, is I think people get married to that one AFO and they think this is my one, I can only use this. And I'm like, but there's so many and you don't have to just use this. You know, sometimes I just need to grab a cane. Sometimes I need my trucking poles and, you know, I'm not at that place that I need to have a roller or anything like that. But I wanna be able to give my clients that are traveling or something like, hey, and often I'll send them to your website and say, go look, this is what tripping on. You know, we all know each other by our our handles. I'm like tripping on air, you know, her, go look at what she has. It's a really good one. So explain what you mean in a better way that I can, um, because you already have.
1: Well, I think this is like one of the things where there's no standard resource for people with MS and we just have to figure it out on our own. But one thing I didn't understand in the early days, it was like, I thought if you needed a mobility aid like a wheelchair, that that meant you were a full-time mobility aid user. And so it was a bit of a revelation to me to learn that actually many wheelchair users ms or otherwise do have some ability to ambulate you know right. and that a wheelchair can be used for to manage fatigue it doesn't necessarily right. mean that you can't walk and this idea of different aids for different days you know yes. it's, uh, which because ms is so variable so you may benefit from um like a like trekking pools like you said yeah. or an afo or whatever it's it's Educating yourself because you have to about what's out there. And then the other barrier, I think, is the stigma around it. And yeah, I think a lot of us can be championed inappropriately by people around us to resist using mobility aids. It's seen as right. like giving up or giving in, and try not to buy into that because you'll be right. able to spend more time. Do like it's like you fall and break your elbow or wrist. So I've done it, you know, like you're a lot, um, like you're out of commission when just like the mobility that you could have been using would have helped that. But the, I mean, these are also lessons. I wasn't born knowing this stuff. It took breaking bones, you know, sometimes to learn this stuff or like crying on a park bench in Paris, (laughs) because I was like trying to power through and totally run out of, Energy and just
0: couldn't do it. Yeah, no, I think that actually, I think those that's so important for our newly diagnosed because I think that that you're right. We think that a chair that means we're always in it, and I, there are times that the airport or it's too big, and I think I'm never going to make it walking this far. Or temperature wise, I want to walk the dog, and it's like eh, I might get, you know, a couple blocks in, and then all of a sudden my drop foot's going to kick in, and I'm going to be in trouble. And so I think it's so important that we, that we get that, that we may need one for one day and something else or nothing that day. But understanding that as the disease changes in our body, as we age, as we have a bad day or a good day, we may need to have different things and it's okay. It is okay. It's hard. It is. How many times did you hide the handicap sticker? I never hid the sticker. I threw mine out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I have it
1: now. But when I first started using mobility aids, like the first cane that I started using was traveling because we travel a lot, and you know you you do more when you're when you're walking more when right. you're traveling. And I would hide my cane in photos, and yeah, like I know a lot of people do it. It's a gross yeah. feeling to feel like you have to hide that. Like it's just um, yeah, I don't know. It makes it just like heartbreaking that we can feel that we can feel that like less than and unattractive and just so many negative things about it. And so I think it takes, it's takes a real culture change. It's not our fault, right? Right. Like we have been conditioned to feel this way about disability Mm -hmm. and mobility aids. It's not our fault. But it, we do need a significant cultural shift yeah. to just start seeing these things as eyeglasses, tools yeah. that to just help us do what we need to do. And so that's kind of like what I want fashionists to do. Yeah. You know, it's like what I want my social media to do to just,
0: I think it's it's so important and it's so crucial for them. I, I definitely have mine out now so that they can see. And I used to do the same thing. I used to put it behind me somewhere people couldn't see. And if I need it that day, I don't do that anymore. And it's something that I want, even with the gym, I would hide it more. And now I have it out so they can see. And I don't want anyone to know that I don't have it. Because if anything, I think it it's more respect that we are able to do what we can do with all this crap. So I think if we see it like that, I love that Kathy
1: and I also feel like I like when you make yourself visible, you are also helping somebody else feel visible and seen. Right. If I decide that I am less attractive or less cool or less whatever because I have a mobility aid and I hide those things in photos, then I'm saying that that's not just true for me, that it's true for other people. And I would never want anyone to feel that way. And so, you know, in the early days of my social media, posting like hashtag babes with mobility aids, there were times when I like, was like fake it till you make it. Like I might not feel like a babe, but I'm gonna like assert that I am until I do feel like it. Because I didn't at first, you know, I brought that first walker home and I cried and I just like, I felt, Disgusting about it, right. and I, I, I think that's a legitimate feeling. You don't have to jump from like um, fully ambulatory person to like embracing mobility aids. I do think there is a grief that needs sure. to be processed, but I am hoping that that window can be narrowed so that yeah. you can get to the thing that's going to help you faster and not feel shitty about it, so yeah. that you can, you know, keep living your life. For sure, for sure.
0: I always have this vision of like a bunch of us with our with our AFOS and our things that we need and just saying, this is badass and just having it out there so that they can see all of us and all of the newly diagnosed and people can see it and say, oh, I know her, I know her, I know him. And just saying, oh, they are not afraid of this.
1: But it's happening, it's happening. Like there was none of that five years ago, even no. maybe four years
0: ago, but now it's happening now. So Audrey, I can't tell you how, I'm just so grateful to have you on. I love you. I love your spirit. I love your badass. Just keep going forward. You just have such a sparkle and so many are drawn to you. And it's a delight to watch you, to watch you push forward through this. It really is. And I know that it's the first time that you and I have been able to, you know, just to do a one-on-one with you. And it's really a delight. You really are a very special person.
1: Stop it! But thank you. Also, it's like it's um it's lovely to be here chatting with you. And I I feel like anything I do I've said this before too. It just feels really selfish because no, I mean I feel like anyone that can say Oh my god, I feel like that too like that's so healing for me. It's like it's we all need that kind of consolation. So for sure, um, yeah. I don't think that I necessarily know any more than anyone else but it's just that connecting with like
0: yes I feel like that too well thank you so much for joining us today on move it or lose it podcast where you can again find us wherever you like your podcast whether it's apple spotify stitcher join us on that and we can't wait to see you again we're going to have a lot of exciting guests and working together And as always, you'll hear us say at the end of every podcast, we are stronger together. So let's do it. Let's become stronger together. Have a great day.